<laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Catching Foxes, the greatest podcast in Oakwood. Uh, we, <laughs> I would like to welcome our. Yeah, we'll get into that later, much much later. But what I want to do is first off, welcome Luke back from the dead. Hey, Luke. Is that your version of like saintly music? That that is my version of uh, the Gloria during Easter. <laughs> well, well, brother, you need to be in a Scala Cantorum because you nailed it. Not to, not to be confused with the Rick Santorum. They're two totally different things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we threw a lot of weight behind that, didn't we, everyone? Didn't we? Hey, speaking of a lot of weight, guess what I'm losing? Weight? Yes. Good job. Right? How much it cost? Oh, okay, so here's the funny thing. This is where you're going to call bullshit on me. <laughs> I'm not going to weigh myself. I didn't no. weigh myself when it began. I'm, you know, they say like you can, you do one of two ways. Either you don't ever weigh yourself and you look at other measures, or you weigh yourself every single day and just kind of like overall track it. But isn't that the I'm an insecure girl who has daddy issues way? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, we know that you are all of the above, but uh, well, if, and if you're not, you're still you're in oh, transition. Oh, to God, please edit that. Oh no, it's getting everywhere, Brian. It's all over the floor. Oh. I'm guessing you're descending into Family Guy quotes. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the carpet, Brian. <laughs> but, hey, even more uh, wonderful is you're not dead. Uh, thank you. Sorry. I'm still laughing at the Family Guy thing. Yeah. I'm really – like I just read a thing about a girl who had a stroke who was actually younger uh, than me and has – and is wheel, is currently a wheelchair bound until she is able to walk again. I was like, oh, and our own friend Bob Levsnevsky had the same thing. Yeah, I know. I actually I haven't even talked to him about that yet. I mean, I, there's so many calls. So everyone who was hey, not wait, back- wait, 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 real quick. If you and Bob were to have a show on Lay Evangelus, could we call it Same Strokes? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and you could just adopt show? white kids together because they'd be the same. Adopt white kids. But they would also have to have a stroke. Then that ruins the whole thing. Never mind. Go on. Uh, then it's just tragic. Um, what are we doing? Yeah. So everyone who did not know I had a stroke, thank you all for your prayers and your uh, support. Thank you to my buddy Gomer for the nice precious moments stat- statue. I <laughs> broke it after I got it. You I broke it? No, I didn't. Have, of course I did. I'm, that that costs you hard-earned money, like your Minecraft lands and your Clash of Clans stuff. Oh, man. And your... Uh, I've spent so much more, <laughs> so much more in Clash of Clans. Than I did on a statue, a precious moment. So I sent you a precious moment statue uh, about five seconds after we hung up from talking to each other. Um, that's why I kept asking you for your address. I was like, what's your address again? <laughs> I thought it was either going to be uh, some flowers or some food. I was not expecting a, a precious moment saying possibly beer. What does it say? Uh, wait, what? What is a precious moment? Yeah. I didn't bother to read any of it. This is God is love. Oh, it does. <laughs> but the dead are dancing with the dead, Gilmer. I know. Oh, come right back to catching boxes. Oh my gosh! Can we just talk about how great Me Without You is? I've been diving into some of their newer stuff. Oh man! I have a friend who reminds me every time they're in town. I he really wants me to go. Daniel, I want to go with you, but I'm scared. I don't think I'm cool enough. No, you listen. You will go, and all of a sudden it's gonna get really quiet and then and then he just then he's just going to scream i wrote a i wrote a uh four word letter and you're just going to start to sob 
That's true. That's it's, true. It's amazing. It's absolutely like I think I probably got the most choked up during it was either Torches Together or oh gosh, um, of the Moses one. And uh, if you don't know what we're um, talking about, you're what's wrong with America. <laughs> yeah, and go enjoy your uh, primaries. I was going to see your lady <laughs> are over. I was going to go go enjoy your lady lumps song. And I was going to go, Luke, it's not 2007 anymore. Uh, that is no longer relevant. So <laughs> funny story about lovely lady lumps. What was that song called? My humps. Um, so when I that that song came out when I was a youth minister, and uh, I used to teach this class called Parent Life, which I do now as a Dolphin Formation person. But um, we used to do this um, once a semester. It was uh, a, a new media class that I would teach the parents, and I, it was called cross cultural becoming. Uh, parents who are cross-cultural missionaries. And the whole idea was to introduce them to things like MySpace and Facebook and Friendster <laughs> and all that stuff. But we talk about, like, all these different things. And so I downloaded the music videos to – basically, they were all, like, number one music videos. So it was My Humps, um, that Jamie Foxx um, – she takes my money. Oh, uh, Gold Digger. Gold Digger. Gold Digger. That's actually Kanye West. Well, oh, Kanye I'm West sorry. and Jamie Foxx. But I Yeezy. The, yeah. Oh, don't. I can't. I can't. Um <laughs> I, although I really want to be friends with Northwest. Uh, but, yeah, that song, which is, like, women in their, like, you know, insanely gorgeous model women in their, in lingerie with, like, knives and stuff. Are they, though? Yes. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember the video. It was just... Yeah, well, so I had the videos of those on my iPod video. <laughs> and one day I left it on the bus. Because I, I would show parents this stuff, like, this is what a music video is today. And this is what they talk about. This is how stupid my humps is. My and, lovely uh, lady lumps. And, and all the parents were like, no, no, no. The kids still watch MTV, right? Right? Yeah. Uh, but this was uh, – the, these was girls in, on my boat uh, – on my boat, my bus uh, <laughs> found my iPad and they scrolled through the music videos. And, of course, there's only three music videos on there and they were all <laughs> these. And they were like, could you tell me what Gold Digger is about? Can you tell me what my – and I was like, how dare you go through – and I realized I threw a fit. Again, like at them about like at, like looking at my stuff, but I didn't clarify why I had that crap on there. So they're totally like Gummer was pissed that he was looking at his like soft core porn on the bus. You know, I never even thought of that. That was awful. Gomer's mad because we saw his booty rap girls. <laughs> oh man, that's where the hip hop Gomer comes from. That's where hip hop Gomer comes from. I come from the streets. The mean streets of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, from the mean streets of uh, suburbia. But before we get into that. Oh, yeah. Man, real quick, though. Uh, when I was in oh, Oklahoma. Sorry. Sorry. When I was in Oklahoma, I actually wrote a rap. Quiet, everyone. I wrote a rap. You want to hear it? Oh, I do. I do. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever heard this. No. Go on. Okay. Now, I, I came up with this when I was in the shower when I was like 12 years old. That's really awkward. Yeah, yeah. Well, all good ideas come from the shower. I was, I was a never, do yeah, they? yeah. I was a never nude though, so I was wearing jean short cutoffs. <laughs> Excuse me, I blew myself. <laughs> if you are not a fan of Arrested Development, you are really offended right now. Um, no, it's. Uh, you ready for this? Yeah. Sorry. Hi. Hi there, people. My name is Michael Gormley. Just want to tell you this little story. And then I'm not going to do the rest. That's all I can remember. No, no, no. But... Keep going. It's about my friend. His name is Luke Carey. The, he just I, had a stroke. He's not doing Mary. Jane? About when we wrote a song That's in my, my edgy. quote-unquote band 
in eighth grade, the chorus went, chaos is everywhere, chaos is everywhere, chaos is everywhere, because Ian, Ian Malcolm told you so. <laughs> That's brilliant, actually. I really wanted to be like Rage Against the Machine. Didn't we all? Didn't we all? I'll never forget my brother. We were hanging out in the family room. My brother's like, hey, I'm going to go listen to some music. And then I hear him listening to Rage Against the Machine. And then he came out, and he was so amped up from it that he literally came out and beat me up. Oh, oh, buddy, I'm sorry. And I was like, fight the power. Fight the power. You're the man. Guns, not shoes. Guns, not shoes. Is that a yellow ribbon instead of a swastika? <laughs> and he's like, I don't have a yellow ribbon on. I'm a badass. And I'm like, I'm vulnerable. <laughs> Did you even listen to the lyrics? <laughs> it's, it's about fighting oppression, not being in a. Oh, never mind. You just keep saying killing in the name of over and over again. Do you think any of, like, the bros from the mid to late 90s who really enjoyed Rage even remotely understood what it was about? You know, it was so— Any Catholics who like Rage? Sorry. uh, Catholics, yes. Every other denomination, no. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I remember uh, there was a concert that they were doing out in—I want to say L.A., and people were chanting, Fight the power! Fight the power! Over and over again. And Zach De La Roca just, like— stopped everything and he was like is this is like our lives is this some like suburban angst you're getting out because fight the power you don't even know what the hell that comes from and they're all like yeah music right <laughs> woodstock 99 <laughs> are you doing holabalooza <laughs> that's what my parents always called it hey yeah i hear your brother's getting tickets to holabalooza i'm like yeah at the teen life program <laughs> uh, speaking of sub- suburbia oh luke what let's introduce the heavy topic well no, no no well not the topic first the ad i thought we were going to introduce the heavy topic and then do the ad. we're going to hint at the heavier topic to come after the ad we are being sponsored by catholicbalm.co that's right catholicbalm.co who makes the barbados beard balm the solid lotion bar and yes lip balm luke why don't you tell them about your experience all right so i first heard about this probably about um half a year ago and like so many of our listeners i have a kick-ass beard and i was and i was like wait a second what's this beard balm thing i should probably start to take care of myself i'm 33 so i was actually able to uh get a completely free can of this from them because they are awesome what wanted me to try it and i fell in love it's it smelled so great, and it felt so good on my on my skin, and I felt like a real adult. I cannot I cannot emphasize enough how great it was to actually wear beard balm, which blew my mind. Yeah, so I was given uh, two tins. I got the scent that's called uh, Chrism, and the other one called Holy Smokes, which smells just like it says. It smells like Chrism. If you don't know what Chrism says, you haven't been a godfather recently or godmother. Um, it's this amazing, amazing scent and you get to put it in your beard. It's essentially a leave-in conditioner for your beard. It is awesome. So, um, they make it all by hand. Uh, they have, it's made of almond oil, shea butter, beeswax, cocoa butter with blends of essential and aroma oils to create our signature scents and they are badass. So we love it. So what we're going to do is we have a, they have a fun competition going when you check out and when you're buying your beard bomb, type in either a team Luke, Luke sucks, Luke sucks, or or B, Team Luke. 
Or C, Team Michael. Who's Michael? Why would you do that? I know, right? He's the worst. Uh, So you put in that name, and we're going to have a contest to see who can get more people in whose name will we get more people to buy. I think you should do it because my beard is better than Luke's. It's bigger than Luke's, uh, like many other things in my life. And... uh, but with my beard, it's <laughs> That's right, little man. That's right, little man. That's right, it's, Team Michael. It's not the size that counts, but it's the way that I use the beard that really makes it. How do you effective. use a beard? I don't know. <laughs> you just walk up to your wife and you're like, hey, look at my beard. She's like, get out of my face. Wait a second. Is that charism? Marriage official. So, no, but like, all honesty, though, this is just a really great opportunity to go and buy some great, great products. I cannot recommend them. Enough, and I cannot wait to see how badly Team Luke, I all, and like I, I know who you who you all are because you all tell me destroy Team Michael. Hey, uh, real quick, Aunt D, Team Michael, all the way. All right, <laughs> all right, everyone. So that that is Catholic Bomb B A L M dot co. Really want to thank them for being a part of Catching Foxes. Indeed, thank you guys. Bye, bye. Hey, did we do it? What? Did we do our first actual ad read? I think so. We did it. Woo! No, I'm actually really excited about that, guys. For for uh, for all of our uh, for all of our um our listeners, that took us like six times to be able to do that. Thank you for listening. Go team, Michael. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what we're going to do right now is talk about the Stanford uh, sexual assault case that has been smashing through the internet lately. The sentence for a brutal campus sexual assault that has sparked a torrent of outrage. The assault came to light when two Stanford grad students saw a man on top of a woman who was passed out in a frat house alley next to a dumpster. So many are now sharing that woman's powerful message that she delivered directly to her attacker as the judge gave him what many see as a far too lenient punishment. One of the eyewitnesses realized that uh, this athlete was essentially having sex with this woman and the woman wasn't moving. And so someone saw, um, you know, what was going on. And then, um, and then the guy tried to run away and then he got pinned by another guy. And what's his name? Brock, what Brock Turner? Yeah. Brock Turner. Yeah. He got pinned by another guy, one of the other eyewitnesses and the guy, Sweden. Yeah. And he got, yeah. And, uh, the guy waited for the cops to come. And that's when, that's when they realized, you know, kind of what was happening, that this girl was completely uh, unconscious, unable to consent to anything. And he was a guy that was that was taking advantage of her 100 percent. And uh, the whole notion of this rape case got, you know, 14 months later. So this happened back January 2015, 14 months later, he's given his sentence and the judge, uh, the prosecutors were hoping for a six year sexual assault. The judge reduced it to six months saying that he didn't want to destroy this boy's life. A jury found a Stanford University swimming star guilty of three felony sexual assault crimes. He could have served more than a decade in prison. Instead, he got three years probation and will serve three months in county jail. The judge cited the defendant's age and lack of criminal record at the sentencing. The victim, who admits she was drunk the night of the assault, wrote a 13-page letter to the judge urging prison time and an apology. Okay, and this is this is insane. But one of the reasons why this has spread throughout this, uh, you know, hits the media so much, is actually because BuzzFeed ran her letter that she read to her attacker. Um, she's just known as 23-year-old Emily Doe. She's using a pseudonym. She's trying to remain totally anonymous with this. Um, and she wrote, have you read the letter? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. It was um, it it was uh, painfully beautiful, and that's that's a weird way to describe because she said some pretty blunt and described, but it, her and it was I mean what she really in staunch detail de- described what that she went through. I was found unconscious, bra pulled out of my dress, but naked all the way down to my boots, legs spread apart and had been penetrated by a foreign object. And why I say that it was like beautiful because she really, she tried to find, she tried uh, to make it positive towards the end. And she tried to bring some type of good out of it. We can let this destroy us. I can remain angry and hurt and you can be in denial or we can face it head on. I accept the pain. You accept the punishment. And then she wakes up and she's in a gurney in a hallway. You know, like how terrifying is that for a person that they're that she's looking down? She's her, uh, underwear is gone, right? It's all like everything's going on through the rape kit and investigation and all this stuff. Policemen are surrounding her in this utterly vulnerable situation, and she's just terrified, you know. Um, and she's feeling. She said, "And here I am, asked to sign papers that have rape victim on it." And she's just like, "What the hell? What the hell?" You know, and it's it's utterly terrifying to think of this. It's mm-hmm. utterly, utterly terrifying to think of this. I mean, she had a boyfriend. She wasn't there to hook up. She was just at a frat party as a 23-year-old because she thought it would be fun to go out and do some of this stuff as, uh, you know, someone who had already just recently graduated college. And um, what I want to talk about here is how did this happen? Um and there's a really good article in the Washington Post that uh, describes – this is oh, the headline. In Brock Turner's hometown, we are raising kids who are never told uh, no. What did you think of this article when uh, you first read it? Um, I mean I felt like it was describing many places in, in, mm-hmm. in the burbs, in the suburban world. Uh High striving, high achieving, uh, comfortable upper middle class to wealthy uh, places. Kids are mostly good kids, not a lot of crime, not a lot of violence, but a lot of things like drinking, like partying, uh, but partying to where they're still functional and able to get, you know, through their AP tests and all that stuff. Um, I was a youth minister in a bourbon in Austin, and you could feel the massive amount of like stress. And uh, all the pressure that's put on these kids to succeed and to hit this mold, this to be an all-American, you know, kind of thing, um, and and the amount of uh, how parents surround themselves with excuses of why their kids have bad behavior, right? So it's not just like Billy, I got you drinking, you're grounded. It's you know, some of his friends just going a little crazy. Boys will be boys. You know, that's one of the worst things you can say. Boys will be boys. And mm-hmm. kids are going to drink. They're, you know, kids are going to have sex. You know, might get out of control. And you had experience, right, back in in your hometown about, uh, you know, like parties and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, like we um, had a party in a basement. Probably there was or probably 50 kids there. I don't remember how many I was a senior and probably about every hour, uh, this was like a huge like mansion home. And uh, the mom would come down downstairs with a trash bag and just grab everyone's beer in, in their hand and then just head back 
upstairs. So kind of her way of like her way of trying to feel not too re not too responsible. So, and why we bring this up is one, obviously we could talk about just how horrible rape is and how it's awful that this guy, cause she was drunk, thought it was okay to do that, which we all know is crap. That's horrible. Like she didn't deserve to be raped. She didn't deserve anything. Um, that's just because she's drunk and you take advantage of her. That's still rape. Um, what I want to talk about is our, is a suburban culture helping, uh, is it helping uh, to foster a rape culture or just some sexual assault and just this attitude? Like, like what's going, why is this stuff happening? Why is this happening? And why I wanted to kind of take this angle is in this article in uh, the Washington Post, the author is an is an English professor who, um, who who lives in a town called Oakwood, Ohio, which is where Brock Turner's from, and she basically has this line that uh, that um, basically says, "I um, I live in the a community that spawned Brock Turner," and when I read that, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I too. I'm a spawn of that a community. I grew up in Oakwood, Ohio. I graduated from Oakwood High School in uh, 2001. Uh, I go anytime that I'm in the Dayton area. I always stop by Oakwood, stop by all this, the store that I use uh, to work at. I work out of the, the Starbucks up on Far Hills in the business district. I always drive by my old house. I try to see one or two of my buddies that are there. I love Oakwood. It's where I've told Aaron that if we were to stay here, that's where I want to raise my kids. And I found out uh, today that that this monster I have been hearing about for the past week is from my hometown. It's a town of uh, 10,000 people. It's about a, it's about a square mile even there before, it's like a pretty, uh, it's a pretty fun area to uh, go and visit. I think, right? No, no, <laughs> it's, it's literally hell on earth. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like we would yeah. go home for lunch. Uh, I would walk at the school every day from the from like third grade until I got oh my license when I was eighteen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think you idealize Oakwood so much because you lived in like a bad, scary neighborhood before that, right? Didn't, weren't you like in Oakwood? Then you went to a scary place, and then you went back to Oakwood. No, so well, I mean, I did. So I was born over on the west side of Dayton, which is like the most dangerous parts of the entire country. And well, that's, okay, that's a little bit of an overstatement, but it is pretty bad. Like it's now they have a bunch of gates and speed bumps because of all the drug uh, trafficking there. And then we, we moved to Oakwood when I was eight, and I really, honestly, I think it, it was college. Because that's when I got out of the bubble. Sorry, out. Of the dome, that's actually like what we called it. Uh, the dome that was that was uh, the title of our high school uh, newspaper, and I started uh, to see that oh, this was a pretty great, pretty great place, and it was really honestly kind of a kind of a joke because all of you guys are so proud of being from uh, from uh, Texas that I you know I would always go, you know, it's pretty great, Dayton, Ohio, <laughs> and um, but I mean I no I mean I do idolize it too. It, a certain extent, but it's because like, it is great. It's a great place. Uh, uh, I mean, 
uh, to raise a family, but I think it's probably just as good as any a suburban town. Like you are from a suburbia. We're both a suburban boys. Um, like, do you think, do you think that, that these towns and the culture of a town like Oakwood is partially to blame for his actions? I mean, when you sit there and say it like that, like, how do you, this is the trickiness of social sin. Like, how do you blame society? Who's guilty of a social sin? Well, everyone. Well, not everyone, because there's people who actively campaign against privilege and entitlement. There are parents who teach their kids the right way. There are churches that know how to reach out and, and you know, help victims and, and get the message across. There are public schools that have programs that talk about this stuff. So you can't just make a blanket statement about everything. But there is an element of culture that seeps in that allows for, number one, rampant um, – permissiveness, right? So removing consequences to bad actions, right? That's a huge thing. If that gets done over and over again, then you think I don't have consequences. Like consequences might apply to other people, but for me, they just don't. And the thing is about young people, obviously they're stupid. Uh, you know, I mean like the frontal lobe of their brain doesn't form and that's where reasoning to consequences of actions and stuff um, occurs. And so I remember in youth ministry, we we're always trained like, you know, like kids, that frontal uh, frontal lobe does, isn't fully formed. That's where they do higher level thinking, and that's where they can reason their actions to their consequences. Really, beforehand, they can't do that, and uh, or they're not good at doing that. Um, and so, I remember a youth minister stood up and said, "So, should we punish kids who do bad things? Like if they get drunk on a trip, not let them come to another trip? You know, whatever. Because if they can't really reason all that well the consequences, and the person says that's how they learn about consequences by actually following through with consequences. You know." And this sounds like parenting 101, like you got to be, have a consistent front and punish your kids, you know, uh, hold them accountable. But the reality is it is so damn difficult to be a parent and do that. The hardest thing about being a parent is consistency when it comes to this stuff. So if you have a culture, generally speaking, I have been a part of many different types of communities. And one of the most difficult to actually work with the youth is when it's a high income where, you know, both parents are working, both parents are, are gone until 5 or 6 p.m., and the kids are largely managing themselves. They have high expectations, and so the parents don't care if they blow off steam, do some bad stuff, if it gets a little out of hand. All they care about is their reputation. And that becomes huge in fostering a culture of entitlement and permissiveness and, and a life without consequences. Turner's father, who said his son would suffer throughout his life as a registered sex offender, urged leniency in sentencing. His life will never be the one that he dreamed about and worked so hard to achieve. That is a steep price to pay for 20 minutes of action out of his 20-plus years of life. Oakwood has a newspaper, and they still have this because I checked as a joke the last time that I was in, I was in the Starbucks there, where... They just have these little quick blurbs about what's going on with in the social scene, who was out in Europe, who's coming back from this, who hosted what party. Like, that's insane. <laughs> that's absolutely. Now, it comes from a very antiquated uh, tradition, but that's insane. It's insane to think that we're so important that we need to have in uh, the newspaper where we are coming back from on our latest vacation. I mean that's insane. That's insane. I mean, it's. I mean, and that has been and that has been happening since before I was born, in that town, and it is insane. And of course, we. Know, I mean, I remember at one point in time when we said what 
our last name was. I think this is when uh, my mom was either at some like, social event or something, and they stopped and go, oh, are you the blank of Volusia Drive? And, and my mom goes, no, to Telford Avenue. <laughs> like, I'm like, not sure. Because it's just like that's your reputation. It's like it, – it, I, I do think that the – I agree with what you are saying completely, but I think that it – I think it's more powerful than – if it's left unchecked, the prevailing culture of your area will have a profound impact on your child, profound. And I and I've thought about the fact that there are many times in my in my life where, where I have acted as, as an entitled brat – where I've just thought that the world is my oyster. I'm going to do whatever I want. If that means I'm going to move to God knows where for a job that sounds cool, I'm just going to do that. Screw all my relationships. Screw the financial burden that's going to place on me. Or, you know, like I'm just going to go and do this thing because I'm special in my whole life. I've been told that I am and I can do whatever I want. Like, like, like can you, I, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm starting uh, to wonder is like, did I have too much oppor- opportunity? Did things come too easily? Um, did uh, the things that I like about Oakwood did that? Are they really helping to uh, um, to contribute to the culture this guy grew up with? I don't know. Like it, it, it just like like. It bothers me, you know, like like in our grocery store that which is actually talked about in this Washington Post article. There's a harp playing as you walk in on a Saturday. I've seen it a million times. That's oh, I'm not... really starting to hate you, people from Oakwood. <laughs> like that's crazy, and but I part of me I love it because I'm like that's just so nice, it's just so unique. Like that's just Oakwood. It's you know, but I don't I don't know. I'm really struggling. I don't with... think I don't think. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. This guy raped a woman. He was drinking. He was probably drunk. But she was unconscious, right? Now, I don't think you can blame a town for doing that. I think part of it is identifying the levels of entitlement and privilege and uh, that's going on in a lot of different places. But what you need to do, what I think we need to do is read this woman's letter. Her letter that she read at the end of her trial was, is amazing, in what she said, how she put everything in perspective, because this kid, essentially, his final thing was, you know, I want to go out and speak against, like, the alcohol consumption consumption and, um, and the sexual promiscuity and the culture of that on campus. And, uh, and so the whole point is she's like, yeah, a lot of people drink. A lot of people have, you know, there's a lot of sexual promiscuity, but that's not the same thing as raping someone. Right. That's not the same thing. Like, I feel like we can there, there's so many side issues and moral issues that can detract from this centralized notion of this woman was rapidly going to unresponsive and a guy didn't stop. He didn't stop. And he kept. And but then why? He, but, like, but that's like what I'm trying to get to is why? Why didn't he do that? Like, why didn't he do that? I can tell you. I mean, like, yeah. sorry, I'm not angry about this. Because, like, it's I mean, because there was a harp in the grocery well, store. I'm no, just but, kidding. I'm but, kidding. No, no I mean, I agree. Like, this idea, I mean, okay, so it was expected at our school that when you were in 12th grade, you hook up with all of the sophomores. That they were your, like, that was your candy store. 
and that's where you went. And like horrific things would happen. Everyone oh, would laugh about it. So like I agree. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like why I bring up oh, the yeah. harp just to paint like how extreme yeah. this place is. But it's just this idea of like you do kind of grow up and you like, you feel like yeah yeah we're special. We're Oakwood. I mean I've got like and now look like this town is awesome. Sorry, I, I, I am I'm not trying to um, say that like I'm not, not trying to uh, divert attention uh, uh, from her letter. I think it's really important. This is just um, like my town. So in my class, we have a girl who helped uh, create uh, the, um, uh, the first iPad, uh, two um, working actors. Um, we have a guy who makes a whole bunch of money as a caddy. I'm sure. Uh, trying to think what, like we, 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 we have a lot of, I mean, I was a principal at the age of uh, 28 um, we have uh, we have a bunch of lawyers. We have a, I think we have a couple of doctors. Like we have people who are out there like doing crazy, awesome things. And I think part of the reason why is because we were told you can do all these great things. Here's access to learning how to do all of this awesome stuff. Like we're, we expect things out of you. And oh, the flip side of that is some really really dark stuff. And I, I think that that needs to be t- – I don't know. This is where I want to, I want to talk about because I feel like that needs uh, to be talked about. I mean I first got drunk when I was in eighth, when I was in eighth grade. Like that was just what you did. And I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I just – it um, as much like I – when I hear check uh, your privilege, it drives me insane because it – me, it just um, – it just like reeks of envy – and jealousy and anger and all this other stuff that I'm like, really, what are you angry at? Are you angry at me? Or you? But this is really causing me to pause and think, go, oh, am I entitled? Am I a part of a, a culture that entitled you? So when it came to a point to where this girl was drunk, this kid thought he could do whatever he wanted to do because that's what he had just done his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I think I, and I, I just wonder if, as a church, we're ignoring a suburbia at times. I think we're. I think we are trying to, in certain ways. But I, I when I say ignore, I mean, uh, um, like bring the hammer down. I, I, I guess, like, like, what do we expect out of people that are in the suburbs? Why do we think that they have everything together or why do we think that, um, you know, like if we, I don't know, does this make sense? Yeah. Am I losing you? No. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm a one word answer. So it always, I'll make you think, oh, he's gone. No, you just threw in, you, just, you, you constantly second guess yourself about whether or not you're making sense. And I'm like. Yes, of course you are. Just keep going. <laughs> well, no, because I, I just feel like I'm going on a monologue, and I don't want to do that. Um, it, it, it's, it's very easy to do to do ministry in in the suburbs that looks clean and fun, yeah. and I think it's very easy to go, oh, if you do stuff that's in the inner like city, um, that's where real like ministry is at. People who are clearly like, suffering, and that is true. It is v- I. Don't know if I have the if I have the emotional stamina that it takes to do inner to do interim civic ministry without just crying myself to sleep 
every every night. But these uh, suburban kids are dying. Like they're becoming evil almost. And I, I can see that. And if we, I, I think that as a church at times, it's just easy to, or even just as a culture, just ignore that because, oh, they'll come back when they want to do all of the sacraments or, oh, um, you know, he's a good kid. He just screws up every um now and again. Like, does he though? Does like is is this just a, or is this like an actual real problem? You know, when like how many kids are now are now actually sexually active, and 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 uh, and you know we always talk about how within the interim cities, like um with all the African American like males who um abandon other families, and we say look at those families, this is horrible, yada yada yada, but we don't but. As like a white person, how 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 often do I go? Hey, we have a really big problem with um, adolescent kids having sex and becoming like evil with their actions. How many times do we really ever talk? We, we talk about what oh, the dangers are of all this stuff, but we don't ever actually say, "Hey, this stuff that is happening right there, your school, at your family, this is bad. This is wrong." And it just doesn't go unchecked. Un- it's going. Uh, it's going uh, to lead to some really, really bad stuff. And it did. And this one just happened to get out there yeah. in the news. Yeah, That's my great fear do. is this notion of <clears throat> as parents check out more and more from their kids' life by dropping them off places to get enriching experiences and stuff. The wealthier, the wealthier you are, the more opportunities you have to give your kids those quote-unquote enriching experiences instead of, you know, parenting them. And, uh, you know, you can pay, instead of taking your kid, you know, ball and glove and baseball bat, you pay someone to take them to, you know, a, a batting coach and all this stuff. And they can be the best batter than ever, anyone else on the team because you have all these resources, but the problem is you're alienating their personhood while doing it. And parents get very used to not having to teach their kids anything. They get very used to, you know, I don't need to teach my kids the faith. That's what the, that's what the church is for. Um, I remember one time a woman coming up to my wife and saying, what are you teaching these kids? She had a special needs kid. So what are you teaching these kids? My son doesn't even know how to pray the Our Father anymore, and he did last year. And my wife, I mean, this woman just came out, like, just total mama bear. My wife just looked at me, and she goes, how sad how sad for you that you don't teach, you don't pray the Our Father in your home. You know, like this woman was like, blame you, blame you, blame you. And mm-hmm. so my fear is, right, that uh, everyone wants to avoid responsibility for the bad, stupid, big, horrible, rotten things they do. But this notion of the more that parents check out, the more kids are on their own, the more that bad things happen at these parties that parents are consenting to or throwing or whatever, and it just gets swept under the rug with phrases like boys will be boys – the more this like rape culture thing that persists in our culture, um, in our in our country, the more that we are going to find like, I mean, thank God, thank God this guy was caught, thank God those two Swedes mm-hmm. on the bike paths were there and they saw it, and they they didn't just say oh you know and ignore it. That one guy saw an unresponsive woman and ran after and they pinned him and they said that when the cops came, that the one of the guys that was like pinned him down. Uh, was sobbing almost uncontrollably because he just witnessed a rape, right? Like, mm-hmm. he was devastated that that's what he saw. 
And the reason why all of this stuff, you know, this happened, you know, back in January 2015 that we're hearing about now is the kids' lawyers dragged this out. And that's another part about this privilege is they were doing their best to prevent, uh, you know, the consequences from reaching this person. I mean, they dragged it out for over a year. year. And here this woman is sitting in the court. I mean, we you know, like. I should probably tone back my, I, you know, sensitive college student stuff. But this woman, here is this woman having to have all those trigger things happen over and over well, and over. That's again. completely different. Yeah, I mean, this is this is yeah. in, intense. This is intense. And then to hear excuse making. I mean, the kid ran, tried to run, and was stopped by these Swedish guys. Yay, Swedes! The kid tried to run because he knew he was caught. So we call him out on it, and guy ran away. My friend Peter chased after him, and I ran after as well. Then we detained him until the police came, essentially. And she was unconscious. She was unconscious, in fact. Mm-hmm. How? M- this might be a horrible thing to say. So, just f- has anything feel free good to say. ever come <laughs> after that? Now I want you to just think, think through what so you're going to do. Say. How much money would you bet that that dad? Brock Turner's dad either has or has had a mistress. I don't, I don't know. What does that have anything to do? <laughs> well, because, listen, you can only reproduce what you are. Like, evil, horrible things happen in really nice towns because of evil, horrible people. And it's really easy to, to go, oh, well, he's a rapist. That's as evil as, you know, uh, as um you can get. But, like, what does an affair do? What does looking at a pornography do? You get what I'm saying here. Like, we have to, like, this This should make everyone pause and look inwards and go, in what ways am I cooperating with evil? How, like, what's the sin in my in my own life? Huh? That was pretty good. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Well, yeah, because I just, I think it's, it's just, it's really easy to, you know, like, point out all these, like, like, it just really um, bothers me. Like, I'm pissed this kid is from my town. I am so pissed off that this uh, – I'm going to really try to clean up all my words here. This – a human being is from my town. That this is the – that for a, a lot of people, this is what they know of Oakwood, Ohio right now. And it's going to go away in, in a month. I get that. This is, this is all I'm going to be over with. Everyone's going to – they're going to – we're going to all move on to oh, the next big thing of the week. But it really bothers me. And it bothers me that, you know, one of our guidance counselors, like, tried to defend him. And it, it just, it, it just, I, I just, it just drives me nuts. It drives me freaking nuts that this is happening. And we want to talk, and like, in this woman's article, I mean, as much as I liked it, there was one part of me just that's like, I want to go, how could you ignore the issue of a pornography? The rampant, rampant access and use of a pornography in a suburban homes. How is that not a factor? Yeah. I just, it's, I there's know. a, uh, there's a line from the day Rick no attributed to St. Thomas Aquinas where he says, sons virtually sit at the table of their father's sins, committing the same ones with greater ease and frequency, but with less, uh, how's that end? Like a pang to his conscience. And that notion being, uh, that, I mean, this is the, when we talk about culture, like if you go to work every day and you're 
you know, you're a new employee, you come in five minutes before you're supposed to be there, you know, so you can get all set up and start working right when you're, you know, right at 8 a.m. And your boss comes in 15 minutes late and other coworkers come in 15 minutes late and no one cares. Then you set a culture. You set a culture of, oh, well, you know, the 8 a.m., you know, time frame really doesn't matter. They're totally cool with you walking in 15 minutes late. They're not going to yell and scream at you, right? When you set a culture within your home where that culture is, you know, don't make mistakes. But if you make mistakes, mom and dad love you, and we're here to – we're going to bail you out. Now, even if those mistakes are things like going over to buddy's house and getting drunk and throwing up all over your buddy's parents' carpet, you know, and getting in trouble, like getting bailed out of minor things – over and over and over again teaches someone that they're always going to be there to bail you out and here and, and and not in a good way it's not like they have your back it's that they're preventing the full effect from what happened from ever reaching your consciousness you know from you ever having to see the consequences of your actions i know i've said that a lot but then you take that and you apply it to someone who's drunk who wants to get laid who sees this beautiful woman She's completely obliterated. Yes, you can make out with her. Yes, you can do this, do that. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a world without consequences where you are probably purposely inebriating yourself so that, you know, you can go through with this. Um, And she is completely unresponsive, right? Completely, completely. And when you're caught, you blame the alcohol culture. You blame sexual promiscuity. You blame all of that. And uh, there's this striking line at the end where she says that she's going to start going through his statements, um, uh, the defendant's statement, and respond to him. And he has this fascinating thing where he says, you know, like, I want to establish a program for high school and college students and talk about that, like campus drinking culture and sexual promiscuity. And she has this. She says, lastly, you said, I want to show people that one night of drinking can ruin a life. Lastly, you said, I want to show people that one night of drinking can ruin a life. Ruin a life? One life? Yours? You forgot about mine. Let me rephrase for you. I want to show people that one night of drinking can ruin two lives. You and me. You are the cause. I am the effect. You have dragged me through this hell with you, dipped me back into that night again and again. You knocked down both our towers. I collapsed at the same time you did. Your damage was concrete, stripped of titles, degrees, enrollment. My damage was internal, unseen. I carry it with me. You took away my worth, my privacy, my energy, my time, my safety, my intimacy, my confidence, my own voice until today. While you worry about your shattered reputation, I refrigerated spoons every night. So when I woke up and my eyes were puffy from crying, I would hold the spoons to my eyes to lessen the swelling so that I could see. I showed up an hour late for work every morning, excused myself to cry in the stairwells. The pain became so bad that I had to tell my boss that I was leaving. I cannot sleep alone at night without having a light on, like a five-year-old, because I have nightmares where, being touched, I cannot wake up. For three months, I went to bed at six o'clock in the morning. It is embarrassing how feeble I feel, how timidly I move through life, always guarded, ready to defend myself, ready to be angry. Every new article came out. I lived with the paranoia that my entire hometown would find out and know me as the girl who got assaulted. I want to say this. All the crying, 
the hurting you have posed on me, I can take it. But when I see my younger sister hurting, when she's unable to keep up in school, when she's deprived of joy, when she is not sleeping, when she is crying so hard on the phone that she's barely breathing, telling me over and over how sorry she is for leaving me alone that night. Sorry, sorry, sorry. When she feels more guilt than you, then I do not forgive you. You know, this woman doesn't even go to sleep until the sun rises. You know, that's the thing that I find so utterly terrifying. <clears throat> about a culture without consequences is it yeah entitlement all of those things that we say but you end up even when you're caught even when a jury of your peers find you 100 percent unanimously guilty of three different felonies you sit there and you say yeah but i have my whole life ahead of me this was just a mistake and again you're still talking about yourself and she i mean her her say it's long it's 13 pages but it's amazing it really is like the the ending. I mean, it is uh, horrible the whole time, and she is devastating. Every paragraph is devastating. Um, but the the most amazing thing about this is this notion of of where we draw, where do we put the spotlight as a consequence? Because the judge listened to all of this and gave him six months in jail. Now, of course, he had fourteen previous months in jail waiting, you know, throughout the trial. But six months in jail was the sentence, which is such a, a statement to me of, of a complete disregard that someone has bought in totally to this notion of, I want to show that one night of drinking can ruin a life. Like, I'm taking responsibility, and I don't want other people to make the same mistakes I made. And the mistake that I made was getting too drunk. And she's like, no, that, a lot of people make that mistake, and they don't go rape people. Right? Like, that's the mistake you made, and they still didn't own up to it. And the judge essentially sided with him. That, to me, is bigger and, and worse. Because you want to talk about setting a culture, that sets the culture for America. That if you're good enough, all-American, blah, 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 and you made one mistake, drinking too much, you know, sexual, you know, all this stuff, then that's, that's the thing that everyone focuses, or not everyone, but that the, that the law focused on. That's what sets culture in a painful way. And, and this is the thing. Like, you're right. Like, you got to look at – you got you to gotta check your privilege, Luke. Yeah. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you got to look at – we do have to look at how we're creating these, these rippling effects. You know, like with my kids, like when I have my boys and they're kissing on a girl, and the girl's like, no. I'm like, hey, it's not funny. The girl pushed you away. You don't get to run after her. My son's too, right? Like, don't do that, man. <laughs> you got to do that. You got to teach your kids to do that stuff. Because kids mm -hmm. won't know. They don't know unless we teach them. And if someone doesn't, it's constantly checking out from their role as a parent, then guess what? Their peers who are going to teach yeah. them. And they're... Well, and, and here's where um, I can't believe that I'm the one who's starting an amazed about like church and stuff. Uh, Oh, the new evangelization comes in because if we're not if 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 the church just ignores if if we just kind of uh, presume that everyone's heard about the faith that everyone uh, that everyone uh, believes there is a that there is um a god and at least they're you know spiritual so that's just uh, that's just good enough right and if we just go down 
oh, the road of doing program after program after program. Here's this new thing. Here's this new like video to watch. Here's a new like, Bishop Barron thing. Here, everyone, here's all this great content that you want. Um, right? As as opposed to, you know, trying to say that truth does exist and it is the person, Christ Jesus, if we're not a proposing faith this is going to just get worse because because then evil doesn't really exist and it's just all relative and it doesn't matter what you think it doesn't matter oh what i think it doesn't matter oh what anyone thinks because nah, you know nah. and so I, I i do at times i mean don't you think that like we as a church have a responsibility not not to be in people's like faith about the truth but well, here's here's something interesting. I have surveyed probably about six different chastity programs, you know, modesty, chastity, all that stuff. Um, some of the lines of thought that I've identified that constantly reoccur is if it's about modesty, it's the woman's fault. Uh, women are immodest. How are men immodest? They almost never talk about that. Um, a lot of the reasons Catholics uh, in these chastity and uh, abstinence stuff, they never really talk about this notion of consent, Right. And I think, like, really starting to look at this stuff, um, you know, when we were talking with Lisa Brenningmeyer from Walking with Purpose and how she has that wonderful line where she says, it seems to me that so much stuff from the Catholic Church tends to focus on, and she just meant, like, the programs that you're talking about, right, tends to focus on women but only in relation to their procreative capabilities, right? So it's, like, modesty, chastity, and then, and then it's, like, their mommyhood. Just, like, when is it about women as sisters, women as women, you know? And I start really like once you start thinking it that way, like you can't unsee that. And then like who is going to talk to these kids about? And the reason why we don't talk about consent is because we tell them not to have sex, right? Right. So that's the thing. That's the breakdown. Because I've been reading a ton of like feminist posts and stuff about all this stuff. And one, I mean, they think it's like you know, like no one's ever talking about consent and like the degrees of consent and all this stuff. And part of the thing that fosters what they call rape culture is that we aren't being really firm and saying, if you want to have sex with someone and they are incapable or they say, no, you are not allowed to do – you're not allowed to pressure them any further. You're not, we don't say that because we say having sex before marriage is wrong. And that's like basically all the tools that we give them to equip them in this world. But then they're drunk at a frat party. And we never gave them – you know, like we never, we never painted that picture like, okay, like – Let's say you're in this situation. Well, number one, you shouldn't be having sex. Number two, you shouldn't be doing this, this, or this. But also, you are raping a person if you, you know, if you, mm -hmm. you know, do all the, if you, you know, whatever. So I, I just think, like, we need to start looking at that specific type of curriculums and all that stuff and that content and those chastity talks and, and bring in not just, like, the dignity and you're a flower and, and you're an awesome man, but also, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, there's this gap that I'm starting to experience now that I'm paying more attention to it. Yeah, I would agree. I think it, I will, I, I think everything we do as a church is to win converts, not to make a disciples. So, um, cause a discipleship is messy, takes time and is personal and you don't get any glory in it. So why would you do it? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, either win converts or, uh, just keep the status quo going. All right, Luke, I think we just solved all the world's problems. You're uh, welcome everyone. We're going to be praying for the victim, Emily Doe. That is her uh, anonymous name. So if you could, please say a prayer for her tonight before you go to bed. All right. Ugh. Yeah. Life's rough, man. Ugh. Sucks. God bless this girl. Uh, give her healing. Give her strength, Lord. Give her a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm.
Amen. All right, bud. All right, I got to go uh, take my daughter to the bathroom now because it's 11.18 p.m., and that's what I have to do every single day for the last two years. <laughs> Once they're out of diapers, <laughs> I got to start taking them to the bathroom. Well, here we go. Ugh. All right. I'll see you, buddy. All right. God bless, man. Team Michael. Now to address the sentencing. My life has been on hold for over a year. A year of anger, anguish, and uncertainty. Until a jury of my peers rendered a judgment that validated the injustices that I had endured. Had Brock admitted guilt and remorse and offered to settle early on, I would have considered a lighter sentence. Respecting his honesty, grateful to be able to move on with our lives going forward. Instead, he took the risk of going to trial added insult to injury, and forced me to relive the hurt as details about my personal life and sexual assault were brutally dissected before the public. The probation officer's recommendation of a year or less in county jail is a soft time out, a mockery of the seriousness of his assaults and of the consequences of the pain I have been forced to endure. Unfortunately, he has failed to exhibit sincere remorse or responsibility for his conduct. I fully respected his right to a fair trial, but even after 12 jurors unanimously convicted him guilty of three felonies, all he has admitted to doing is ingesting alcohol. Someone who cannot take full accountability for his actions does not deserve a mitigating sentence. It is deeply offensive that he would try and dilute rape with a suggestion of promiscuity. As this is a first offense, I could see where leniency would beckon. On the other hand, as a society, we cannot forgive everyone's first sexual assault or digital rape. It doesn't make sense. The seriousness of rape has to be communicated clearly. We should not create a culture that suggests we learn that rape is wrong through trial and error. The probation officer weighed the fact that he has surrendered a hard-earned swimming scholarship. If I'd been sexually assaulted by an unathletic guy from a community college, what would his sentence be? Throughout incarceration, I hope he is provided with appropriate therapy and resources to rebuild his life. I request that he educates himself about the issue of campus sexual assault. I hope he accepts proper punishment and pushes himself to re-enter society as a better person. She concludes the letter by thanking the hospital intern who made her oatmeal, the deputy who waited beside her, the nurses who calmed her, the detective who listened to her, her advocates, her boss, her incredible parents, as she calls them, her friends, her boyfriend, her unconquerable sister. And then this quote. Most importantly, thank you to the two men who saved me, who I have yet to meet. I sleep with two bicycles that I drew taped above my bed to remind myself there are heroes in this story, that we are looking out for one another. To have known all of these people, to have felt their protection and love is something I will never forget.